0: Hey, it's Wednesday, July 6th. This is Market Call. That's MKT Call. I'm Dan Nathan. I'm joined by Liz Young of SoFi and Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by Tomorrow and SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. We're going to attempt to do that all in one show here today. And we are powered by Open Exchange. Liz Young, EY from SoFi, as Guy calls you. Guy is on break, and I know that makes you very sad. And Carter Braxtonworth, welcome, guys.
1: Oh. Thanks. It just, it just means less laughs today. That's all. Not that you're oh, boring, really? Dan, but yeah. you know, no, that's, yeah, that's
0: kinda. what I'm getting. Carter, I think Liz <laughs> is kind of pointing to me and you and just yeah, thinking maybe. that we're like, right, you know, know. the boarding you know, <laughs> options and chart guys. That's uh, what
2: I, makes, uh, makes him the MC or the standout, right? You can't all be the same. We're bringing different flavors,
0: right? I, I will tell you yeah. this, you market call people, you guys better be ready because when guy comes back on Monday, he is going to be raring to go because I haven't seen him on. Twitter. I haven't seen him. He and I haven't texted, nothing, nada. So he's going to come back like a a ball of fire here. All right, let's get into it. Because yesterday, you know, Carter, you were on market call. With myself and Danny Moses, we were talking about kind of some of the weird action. There was a lot, a lot of macro cross-currents. A lot of macro assets were moving in all different directions. None of them made a whole heck of a lot of sense. The stock market was actually down in the morning, and we saw NASDAQ under, or outperformance, which we also haven't seen. So we had a good close. I would call that a crap rally in the NASDAQ. That's We might use a different term on a trading desk. Give me your thoughts here carter because you and i were talking earlier the s p 500 i mean again if you just kind of pull up the one year we don't have to get too scientific on this thing here um you were calling it what a pair of what
2: pair of twos
0: (laughs) there you Uh, go which
2: is uh, it's a hard hand to make hay with right in poker the it's the smallest hand you can have it's not a pair of eights. in fact the only thing worse is five random cards Uh, so to some extent we had the nice bounce the sequence now we're kind of stuck and and everything is after Bunch of jockeying around, right? Rates have pulled in, oil's pulled in, uh, market has bounced, and we're all kind of just sitting here. It's really quiescent in a way. Um, It'll be earnings that start to move things again.
0: Yeah, so we have the Fed minutes coming out in a couple hours here, and that'll be really kind of interesting, actually, like, less than an hour. So it'll be interesting to see how the kind of market reacts to that. Liz, I'm sure you were watching the markets pretty closely yesterday. I thought the move in yields was really interesting. Crude oil obviously got hit really hard. We had the dollar breaking out. We had gold breaking down. We're going to hit all of those a little bit today. But when you saw the intraday volatility in the stock market, too, I think my my kind of response to that sort of action is, like, pretty confusing. I'm just curious what your Mm -hmm. thoughts were kind of. Trying to parse through some of that action yesterday.
1: Well, my first thought is that you just you love to hate a rally. You (laughs) you love it. Fact. One a one-day rally is like your least favorite thing. So I do think though it was indecisive and it'll continue to be indecisive through the month of July. And to Carter's point. Earnings are the next shoe that has to drop. And I think at this point, it's not going to be a surprise to anybody when we hear from CEOs that they're going to guide down and that things are going to get worse for the rest of the year. But that's still something that the market has to digest, and earnings have not moved very much yet. So when you look at what happened yesterday, I think it was very much a macro story. It was very much a rates story when you see things like the NASDAQ and technology and communications and discretionary rallying. And you see things like utilities, dividend payers and cyclicals getting hit. So I do think that investors had one day of a reprieve and all the stuff that had been hit really hard. But I don't think that it's the last of the volatility that we're going to see, especially in some of those sectors that have been hit really hard by the market because earnings in those particular sectors. So consumer discretionary and even tech, I think, are still way too high for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, one area is um, you know, small cap stocks. You know, you look at the bounce off the low just from, you know, a couple of weeks ago here. It's about 5%. The prior two bounces, the one from the May low and the one from the February low were both about 12%. And when you look at just what's going on in that time period, you know, with uh, a lot of inflationary, at least, you know, commodities, um, you know, have come in pretty hard. Now we've just had crude. You would have thought that maybe small caps might have bounced a little more. I'm just curious where you're thinking on that. Um is, as far as what they're telling you as we head into Q2 earnings season?
1: You know, it's interesting. Right before I came on, I checked a few major indices just to see where everything was year to date. Mm-hmm. And the EFA, the emerging markets, the SP, and the small cap index are all down year to date almost the exact same amount, somewhere between 19 and 22%. So that tells me we're just risk off. And that's how investors feel. It's just indiscriminate risk selling and small caps obviously are at the top of that risk list i do think though and i know everybody's going to sort of snicker in the background that small caps can bounce i think they got sold off faster and more furiously than some other sectors and other parts of the market and they can bounce once some of this volatility starts to subside however i don't think the volatility is going anywhere until probably august september
0: yeah, well, we, we certainly have a lot of volatility in the in the Treasury market, and you know, yields, Carter. We were talking about yesterday the ten-year U.S. Treasury yield, the way in which that sold off um, yesterday. Um, you know, it continued to sell off this morning. It's bounced a little bit. It's about back up above two you know, eight three or eight four or something like that. Give, give me a sense of you know, again, going back to the small caps a little too. Very sensitive, kind of to rate uh, movement here. You'd think that that would help them firm up a little bit, but I'm not so sure that yields coming in right now is so risk on. Give me your thoughts on this kind of volatility that we've seen um, in rates and just just the last couple of days. It just seems really um extreme. Well, it's a,
2: it's a round trip, right? I mean, just yeah. from the start point of the green line you've drawn and the. The spike and and then the reciprocal giveback. I'm in the two five five two six camp, mm-hmm. um, but remember, all of this is uh, what's the word you want to say? Really deflationary. Stock prices going down, are deflationary. Oil yeah. giving back ground copper, and so the the thing that was so popular is almost out of the way in the sense that there, you couldn't get anyone to sell a copper stock because oh, there's shortages for 20 years. They haven't dug a hole in. But what just happened? Does that changed? The holes are still not dug. I mean, it's just about sequencing. When you get too steep, down or up, you can, with a little dexterity and a little luck, play for mean reversion.
0: Yeah, I got you there. All right, well, let's talk about inversion here. Uh, Liz, you had a tweet thread uh, this morning on the 2.10 spread. You mentioned that it inverted for the third time this year, but it's not the only spread that matters to the Fed. So talk to us about that. You had a good chart there, too. What are you most focused on? I know that it's really easy to kind of just say 2.10 spread and what that means. We know that other parts of the curve have inverted uh, earlier and have been inverted longer. These um, inversions of late have been pretty short. What are you focused on here as... uh, uh, we we have the two tens inverted for the first time in a couple of months.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I miss Guy for this part because I know he loves a thread. And this is a thread on spreads. And he would have just barfed yeah. with me saying that. But OK, so here's the thing. The twos 10s spread is like the lead singer in the band. It's the thing that we talk about all the time. It's the thing that makes the headlines when it inverts. And now this is the third time this year that it's inverted. Everybody gets all upset because it's it means that there's a recession coming. What we also have to think about, though, is what does it mean to the Fed? What does it mean to actual market dynamics? The Fed watches a couple other spreads. And that was the point that I wanted to make in this tweet, is that the Fed watches something called the near-term forward spread, which is the spot rate on the three-month Treasury compared to the three-month Treasury 18 months from now. And what it would predict is if the market thinks that the Fed is going to cut rates by 18 months from now. That spread has not inverted. If that spread started to invert, it might peak the Fed's interest and they would take heed and maybe start to slow down. But it's really not even that close to inverting. And then there's another spread. We do look at the three month versus the 10 year, also not inverted. So what this tells me is that the Fed is going to stay consistent and say, you know what, inflation is still our problem. Even if we're in a recession, inflation is still what we need to focus on. And always remembering that they have a dual mandate. The labor market has not been a problem for them for a very long time. If it becomes a problem, that's a different story. But until the labor market breaks, I think they are on this hiking horse and they're not going to care whether the market continues to go down or whether we dip into a shallow recession.
0: Yeah, and I agree on the market front. I mean, I think that the Fed is going to stay squarely focused. I think they admitted that they got the inflation story wrong, and obviously there was a couple of headwinds that very few people could have seen coming from a geopolitical standpoint. But at this point, it would take you know a, a rapidly decreasing um, stock market. I think from these levels to kind of change the Fed's tune on that guy will definitely have a different um, opinion on that when he comes back next week. You know, yesterday we spent some time on the U.S. dollar, Carter. This thing has continued continue to rally. We just kind of wanted to flash up a chart here. You said it looked like a couple cup and handle. You could come up with a lot of different um, kind of ways to think about why that thing looks like it's got more room to run on the upside. When you see this sort of move over the last year, year and a half, and breaking out of, let's say, a year and a half sort of uh, or a multi-year, excuse me, a multi-year sort of consolidation, although it's been a volatile one. What is your extent? Like you use measured moves sometimes. Like where do you think this thing starts to get kind of overbought? So the
2: circumstance of overbought, right, is it's both on a current basis uh, and yet on a longer term basis, not so much. So yes, the move over the past seven, eight months is straight up which means day-to-day one could say it's overdone. Mm -hmm. But one of the things about being overdone is that you're far, far above any preceding price, and that's not the case, which you can see in that chart there. Basically, we're only a fraction above where we were in December of 2016, right? And so we've just cleared, we're up, what, 3%? Yeah. Dollars up 3% in, what's that, seven years? Uh, That's nothing, so yes, Week over week, day over day, month over month, we have a steep, uncorrected advance. But we've only just now, 3% higher, moved above the 2016 high. And in that sense, it's not extended.
0: All right, so let's talk about this because I know that you've, uh, over the years, schooled me on some of the correlations between, let's say, gold and the dollar. But I thought that this tweet uh, from MacroTourist yesterday was really interesting. A simple cheat sheet for gold traders. And you can see that left-hand column, the event yields up, yields down, oil up, oil down, stocks up, stocks down, dollar up, dollar down. He's basically saying all bad for gold. I thought that was really kind of interesting here. But um, I mean, listen, this is obviously relative to the correlations here. Talk to me a little bit about what's going on Carter in gold just this week because this is a pretty precipitous drop below that 200 day um, which it had kind of been straddling for a month or two there and obviously you know just really lost a lot of that upward momentum and I think that you know earlier this year in February and March when you had that kind of spike um, you know really a parabolic move that was at the height of geopolitical uncertainty um, what's going on here this is a one year we also have a longer term taking us back to the mid aughts here give us your sense for a like where this thing kind of finds some support
2: right the spike uh, it turns out already course is just the same spike as nickel and wheat and oil it's all associated with those few days in uh, late February early March right the high I believe was uh, March 8th when you know Russia crossed the border in Ukraine and now it's trading let's say in lockstep with so many other commodities which are in free uh, the real question is if you looked at the gold-copper ratio, which is a very important thing, or how gold's acting relative to all commodities—the CRB index—it's still the uh, sort of the, the best in class, I would say. Here, now you've got a nice green line there. Does it have to get down all the way to that level? Um, look, day to day, it too is oversold, right? It come down, and I would say playing for a bounce here is probably a good
0: technique. Right. But what about my long-term? Is that enough trying to connect it two points there? Is that enough there, Carter? (laughs) No, it's it's
2: a good line. But I mean, again, you can connect any two points. You need three to make it a trend. And uh, it imputes uh, a third point, which is where it's going down to. And okay, maybe it's headed there. I just think probably its uh, extreme weakness is the reciprocal of its extreme strength. And just as it was right to fade when something's extremely strong, it's probably right to do what no one wants to do, which is embrace the extreme weakness.
0: Yeah, hey, and Liz, you know, you you talk to um, or at least speak to in, in your in your notes and in, in your customer base there over there at SoFi. Um, what do they think of gold? You get a lot of questions about gold. Is that something? That, you're just shaking your head, not no. at all. They're, they're I like mean, digital look, gold.
1: our our investor base is 60, more than 60 percent of it is between the ages of 20 and 40. Yeah. Those are not the investors that are thinking about gold as an investment, right? They're thinking about things that are a lot more high octane. Gold is sort of the the traditional investor's store of value. And gold for me, and, and I remember one of my first mentors in the industry said to me a very long time ago, I've never understood why people invest in gold. I've never understood why people would buy gold bullion because stuff's gonna hit the fan and then you just end up with a bunch of shiny stuff in your basement and what are you gonna do with it? And I've always remembered that because to the point of that tweet, There's all these different environments and if you're trying to play something like gold over the short term, it's really, really hard. I think over the long term, it makes a little bit more sense as one of those stores of value or something that should be a little more sturdy in the portfolio and Move up over a cyclical expansion, but in the short term, gold is just too tough to call, and we don't get a ton of questions on it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I hear that. One thing I just mentioned, just to kind of button that up a little bit, it's interesting that obviously that demographic of your client base has been very focused on digital gold on, on crypto, um, and you know it's interesting that now that crypto has essentially crashed, um, you know, Bitcoin is down more than sixty percent from its all time highs. I've seen a lot of kind of younger, really smart kind of tech folk and stuff like that come out and really kind of pile on on the crypto bear case. And I've seen some of them even make the case for gold, which I do think anecdotally is kind of interesting. Carter, we spent a lot of time on crude yesterday. Um, Let's talk about this. I just drew a one year chart here. You see that support line. Maybe it's weak. I don't know. You see that rising 200 day moving average. You see the follow through after yesterday's um, sort of like to me, that looks like a level where it should find some support. Walk us through again, because you did have that follow through those something that we were tracking yesterday to see if we would get it. Um, what's your take right here today on crude yeah, oil? Just, and how important is it to you that this finds some support soon?
2: I suppose it's not that important. It's still a fairly high price for crude, right? Yeah. I think the important thing is because we're always learning, right? All of us, every day, because we make the mistakes no matter what age or how long you've been at this. It's the extrapolators that get themselves in trouble. When crude goes up from a, from $90 to $130 a barrel, and people start talking about $200 a barrel. You know you've got to run away from uh, thinking like that. It was all priced in. It's mm-hmm. it's mean reverting you can't have a commodity like this. It's not orange juice where all the trees freeze. It, it, come on. And so what do we have now? We're kind of back to where it belongs maybe. Let's look at a couple charts. So there's a chart with no drawings, right? No annotations, no judgments. Now the truth is, put the next one up. Crude was ascending in, some people call it a megaphone doesn't matter what you call it a fairly orderly sort of widening range and then we spiked like that and you had wall street projections of two hundred dollars a barrel classic stuff exactly not what's going to happen so where does it stop (laughs) is it stop here there's no precise level look at the next iteration it's kind of what you were drawing i mean you're basically back to where it all started so do we stop at the lower line which is the day that ukraine was invaded maybe that's where it belongs you know pretty soon here it'll be right to play for a bounce put those all those charts together the last iteration yeah we're getting there i'm going to try to time it and make a call that hey play for a bounce i think we wait
0: All right, let's look at the oil services, the ETF that tracks the group OIH really quickly here because it's still up 16% on the year, but it's nearly round tripped. Like most of that move from the first week in January, Carter's down 35% in what feels like a straight line over the last few weeks. Do you think the same uh, holds true for these oil services? And we could even, yesterday, we talked a little bit about the XLE, which we know is largely Chevron and Exxon about 40%. Are you expecting them to find some support, the OIH in and around this 200 level and maybe the XLE, you know, somewhere around this kind of 70 level.
2: Well, it's the similar thing. And you see that little bounce that it had, right? Uh, Along the way, what was that three weeks ago? It's about sequencing. You get overdone on a a day over day basis and you get a a bounce, a kickback, a throwback, some sort of a ricochet. I think that's good technique. Or you do it through options, right? You sell a a put uh, credit spread. But I mean, if you have the dexterity, if you have the gumption, just as people are abandoning it, as aggressively as they were embracing it, take the road less traveled.
0: Well, I would say, you know, as somebody who did options action with you for nearly ten years on CNBC, I'd say don't have the gumption to naked sell puts in something like this. I would say that credit spread idea of selling a put spread that makes some sense too, Carter, especially with vol's the way that they kind of move. All right, you're looking real quickly at the S and P 500 versus the IYT. That's the iShares U.S. Transportation ETF here. What are the transports telling you, and how should they be acting given the fact that we've seen, you know, cr- uh, crude oil come in so hard? So uh, recently
2: yeah there is no real relationship over time between the cost of price of oil and airlines or truckers where you think there would be yeah. it works and then sometimes it doesn't but the transports are down to a level of support my hunch is there's a bit more to go let's look at first this it's two lines it's two colors it's very clear to see it's the market spy versus the transports iyt market beating transports that's over 10 years let's pull it in and look over five and uh, this is a little shorter term let's zero in on just the iyt which again and doesn't it look as though it's to support well look at the next chart it is support but support starts here and it's important to say that support's not a magic thing but importantly it's not a plywood board it's not a concrete floor it's a mattress top and you can sink into support and often do look at the final chart so we're at support but Again, like a child jumping on the bed in the hotel, you can sink in to support before ultimately finding support. My hunch is that it sinks a bit further and then you will get a bounce. We're here too, sell a put credit spread.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Hey, Liz, how are you thinking about? It? I mean, it was really interesting that Carter just mentioned that historically there's no great data that suggests that there's um, a, you know any relationship between the price of oil and that of truckers or airlines. I'm just curious your thoughts because those groups have acted very poorly, right, as crude oil and natural gas went much higher, and they don't act better since they've all come in over the last few weeks or so. How are you thinking about transports, industrials, um, you know, all these names that I, I think were really levered to a reopening? trade, a global reflation trade, and they just kind of got clipped once these commodities started ripping.
1: Well, look, what we've all been sort of wishing for to get inflation to go away is a cyclical downturn or at least some sort of hit to demand, some sort of hit to cyclicality. And these are the groups that get hit when that happens. Uh, I don't think that they're necessarily moving With the price of oil, obviously, I think they're moving with the macro news and they're moving with recession fear. And I do think that there's more to go down uh, before they can find even just stability to go sideways. Even Again, back to earnings. Industrials' earnings are still too high as well. So I think that there's probably more pain to be seen in transports, probably more pain to be seen in airlines and in industrials overall.
0: All right. Well, I appreciate that. We're going to get into the fundamentals, Carter. So we're going to let you go, buddy. And maybe we'll get a couple laughs out of you. But listen, if you guys want more <laughs> of Carter Braxton's fine worth work, you can go to worthcharting.com. It's all there. I just got an email with an update they sent out all day and night. You do this midnight. You do a midnight video, Carter. Like, and I've never. We do. I, we do. We do. I, I asked you to come on here. You never asked me to come on your Midnight Madness midnight. video. I mean, you're yeah.
2: the very first one. We never had anyone on because. You know, when you invite people to go on something at midnight, you don't get much replies. You
1: do uh, it live at midnight or you film it and and post it at midnight?
2: Uh no, live at midnight. Wow. Right, what time zone it. are you in? <laughs> well, for people <laughs> in the West Coast, it's nine, it's nine PM. It's a good thing to have a drink and listen. And then in London, it's just wake-up time. So yeah. for-
0: there you go. All right, man. Well, we really appreciate you doing heavy duty lifting this uh, week. Thank you very much, love. Carter. Thanks. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday, Bob. Um, all right, Liz, let's do it here because we got okay. a lot to get through. You have your second half outlook. It's out yeah. on the SoFi Investing blog here. Um, and you seem to be very happy that the first half is over. Um, listen, oh. I will say this anecdotally, Liz, I watch you on CNBC. You and I chat Offline and you join us each week on market call, obviously, I think you 've gotten a lot of stuff right this year, and I think that one of the mo- main points that I would say is that I listen to what a lot of strategists at a lot of different banks um, have to say, and it seems like they have a hard time changing their minds sometimes when the data changes, and you 've done what I think is an exceptional job of doing that. I have the benefit of talking to you most every day, so you know it 's not like you put a report out and then next week you 're changing your mind. Talk to me a little bit about some of the themes in the first half and what you think you missed, maybe, if that makes some sense, and what you think might materialize into the second half.
1: Yeah. Well, look, in in defense of strategists everywhere, it's a really tough line to to balance on because on one hand, you don't want to change your mind very often because you want to remain consistent and have conviction in, in your thoughts. But on the other hand, you do have to take the data as it comes. And one of the things that I thought about a lot this year is how many times the Fed kept saying we are data dependent, and I'd have to go back and say to myself, the same thing, you have to be data dependent. So at some point, one of the calls, two of the calls might not have the data to support it anymore. So first of all, yes, I mean, who isn't happy that the first half is over? And I kept saying the second half is hopefully better than the the first half, but that's not saying much, right? The first half was pretty bad. so. Uh, my my outlook coming into the year was titled Running Into the Wind, and I was expecting it to be a challenging year, at least a challenging first half. We knew we were embarking on tightening. We knew we were embar- embarking on uh, quantitative tightening as well. But what we all didn't see coming was a war that was going to erupt. We all also didn't see coming the fact that inflation was going to be this sticky. Now, I was never in the transitory camp, but I did think that it was going to come down faster than it has. So that has been a challenge. And thinking about it, maybe what I was saying in April, May about the second half being a lot better, I had to walk that back a little bit. Yes, I think it's going to be better than the first half, but a lot is probably the words that we have to take out. So I do think inflation starts to come down in the second half. The worry now, which I think I mentioned last week on Market Call, is that even if we do have a little recession that started in the first half, it doesn't absolve us from having a bigger one that actually takes care of inflation later on. So things have changed a bit, uh, and I do still think that earnings are taking too long to come down. I think that the economy has taken longer than we expected to cool off, and now we're kind of teeter-tottering on this, are we going to make it, are we not going to make it without a recession?
0: Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, we've spent some time talking about this and I think, you know, we've been talking with you, you know, for months and months about the potential for stagflation at some point. You know, it really is what I think we have right now here, especially if you look at um, the, the Atlanta Fed GDP now and what they're mm-hmm. kind of indicating for Q2 um growth and we know that you know again you know a lot of these inflationary pressures although we've seen industrial commodities and and energy come off pretty sharply and some food um, stuffs you know wheat and that, that sort of thing I mean it's going to remain elevated right and so we have a higher rate environment we have a higher dollar I mean that, again this goes back to what we started the market call talking about it's just there's a lot of macro cross-currents right here and as an investor in the stock market that makes it really hard that's why we we're talking about yesterday's price action you know it really felt like a crappy Rally, and I'll just kind of make the point here. It's like when I look at a stock like J.P. Morgan, if it was to close today where it's trading right now at 111, that would be a new 52-week closing low, down 27 percent on the year. The S&P is down about 20 percent on the year. What is that telling you? When the biggest bank on the planet, right, is massively under you know underperforming the S&P 500, it's signaling that there's still a lot of economic uncertainty. And I think your point about early in the year when you could have been more optimistic right before the war broke out you'd say that okay we kind of are going to have this rough patch for the maybe three four months or something but we're going to look by that Market's going to start to discount that and they haven't they haven't done that and I think it's important to kind of that last point that you made about earnings expectations they just have to come down and maybe that's what we see over the next few weeks that kind of helps reset expectations with where market valuations are does that make sense to you
1: Yeah, it does. And and one of the other things that I think it was a point I made early in the year, saying that I expected in 2022 fundamentals to come back and rule the roost, which meant that earnings were going to matter again and that you'd see this big separation between high-quality companies that could internally finance and that had healthy profit margins and had pricing power, all of that, that whole narrative, right? that also hasn't entirely come to fruition. And I think even though the second half, again, I think it's going to be better than the first, but I still think it's actually going to be driven by macro headlines. And those macro headlines are very much going to be inflation. We'll probably get company specific headlines as the economy slows. So we'll hear more about layoffs. We'll hear about Mm -hmm. guidance coming down. But if you just think about it in the case of the energy sector, for example, energy is really the only one that might actually revise earnings upward, right? And they might increase their dividends because we've had a prolonged period of higher oil prices and the profit margins are better and so on and so forth down the line. If we have a macro environment where we see demand destruction and we see a pullback in cyclicals and we confirm that we're in a recession, the macro trumps that, right? The macro completely overpowers that. And I think energy still gets hit anyway, So we have to not have our heads buried in the sand. I wish that we could, I wish that we could look at the fundamentals, especially for something like JP Morgan and some of those companies that we know are good companies that we know are gonna make it through a tough economic environment, but the fundamentals just aren't as important yet as the macro is.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's why it's, again, it's gonna be a really difficult period. People are gonna say you have to pick stocks, but you also have to pay attention to all these macro headwinds. One of them that we touched on really quickly is that the strength of the dollar you know, broke out of this. Multi-year range, and you know, one of the sectors I think is really interesting. You know, that I'm going to be keeping a close eye on during uh, Q2 earnings season is going to be uh, consumer staples. And one of the things that really sticks out to me like a sore thumb is that they were making new all-time highs as a beneficiary of inflation. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this was just a couple months ago here, and you saw that really sharp um, decline in May and June. um, Made a little bit of a double bottom around the $68 level. It's had a really nice bounce. Largest components are Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, Pepsi. All of these are huge multinationals with lots of dollar exposure here. And I think that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I also see on the technicals on the chart... 50-day moving average is crossing below the 200. Some people call that a death cross. To me, this looks like an interesting setup into earnings to play for a move back towards that kind of $68 level where it found some support last month or so. And again, you know, this is a kind of market, you know, Carter was talking about maybe selling credit spreads to take in some premium in something like the energy space where vols have spiked a little bit. I almost think the opposite way, looking at like the ETF the track staples here, I almost want to buy a put spread playing for that move back to the kind of high to mid 60s or so so today I just want to kind of do a little uh, trade here on the options of the XLP when it's trading around 73 bucks today you could look at a put spread in August expiration that's going to catch most of the biggest components in the XLP their Q2 earnings and most importantly their Q3 guidance and you know you could buy this eight dollar wide put spread the August 73 65 put spread for about a dollar and a half that's about two percent of the ETF price and it breaks even um, down about two percent right it's trading right are there at 73 bucks and you could make, you know, up to $6.50. Do the math on that. 150 you could make up to, uh, you know, about six fifty if you had a move that was down about 11% over the next six weeks or so. So I really like the idea of like risk reward trades like this playing for some technical levels, but also kind of marrying in some of the macro that we're playing. I don't really want to do this on a single stock level. I don't love the idiosyncratic nature of that. Just curious of your take on the staples here, because all of those top three names list that I'm just talking about in this bearish trade idea in the XLP, they all trade about 25 times earnings. That's Procter, Coke, and Pepsi.
1: Well, look, Staples saw a lot of inflows along with utilities when people got afraid earlier in the year, and there was this huge defensive positioning move. Unfortunately, I think Staples, and and this goes back to the macro point, I think Staples is one of those sectors that maybe not as sensitive to the dividend trade as utilities are, but still sensitive to it. And if inflation expectations come down, if rate hike expectations come down, investors are just not as interested in dividends anymore. So I don't know that there's a ton of upside in staples for the next few months until we figure out what direction we're going. I think there's probably a little bit more upside in discretionary after they get beaten down a little bit more. But I will say, I do think that later in the year probably fourth quarter this year you see a little bit of a revival in the consumer and these names can benefit from that I just wouldn't do it quite yet
0: yeah that no that makes sense and timing is really important in these sorts of uh, names and those three uh, major um, components of the XLP make up um, I think about 40 percent away to that so you know to me I don't think there's like too much more room on the upside I don't think yeah. you know even if the dollar were to kind of stop going higher I don't see many instances in which it's going to crash much lower. Let's pivot real quickly. We're talking about earnings. I mean, this is going to be our focus for the next few uh, weeks or so. But, you know, John Butters, the um, senior uh, earnings analyst over at FactSet, he puts out his earnings insight report. It comes out every Friday morning. You can sign up for it at um, FactSet.net. And it's a great um, I think it's a great weekly newsletter. It really helps me kind of track what expectations are um, for S and P earnings, and it's always got some interesting stats. He gives us a bit of a preview um, of it, and you know this one that's coming out on Friday. Um, you know he's talking about what the kind of average growth rate of earnings are over the course of a quarter, right? Because generally over the last few, in, in decent environments, you'll see companies meet or beating their expectations, and the data that he's tracking right now. I think this is really interesting here is that you know, over the last 5 and 10 years, the quarterly growth rate has increased by about 8% on a 5-year basis, about 5.5 percentage points over the last 10 years. And if, if the S&P for Q2 would finish between 9 and 13% or something, you're just going to have a 10% growth rate for Q2 for earnings. That seems really high to me, Liz. I'm just curious. Like, really hey, high. That, yeah. So that would be kind of like, I think, the peak earnings growth for this cycle, especially if we are going to find out that we are in a recessionary environment uh, in the next, here at least, in the next couple of quarters. But I think it's pretty safe to say that Europe, where a lot of our big multinationals have a lot of exposure to, are you know Europe is likely already in a recession.
1: Yeah. Yeah and I mean look even if that is a peak it's a peak that's behind us and now we go into the downfall right yeah. Now the the thing about earnings first of all I think Butters is going to be very busy this quarter yeah. uh, the thing about earnings though is that we're coming into this even if they get revised downward and I think they probably get revised downward by 5 to 10% which I believe puts it somewhere between 205 and 215 uh for 2022 EPS But even if they do, we're coming into this with with such wide profit margins that companies can kind of take a hit and absorb it a little better than in a classic recession situation. So we may not see as big of a hit to earnings as we normally would in a recession, But I do think they have to come down off of that. And I think that probably the number of companies that surprise on the upside is going to be below average for the next few quarters. And the growth that we usually see is going to be below average for the next few quarters.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting also to see, you know, like what sort of companies have meaningful guides lower or they just kind of piece it out a little bit. We've mentioned a couple of times that Microsoft pre-announced this quarter. It it Mm -hmm. was on an FX sort of thing. And, you know, they didn't really need to do that based on the percentage of the miss versus expectations so it'll be interesting to see if that is followed up by a meaningfully decline in you know demand that they're seeing across their customer base that sort of thing we know that there was a couple big misses last quarter in the tech space amazon had a big one um so did you know snap and there was a handful of others that are more ad supported so um i'm definitely gonna be watching for some of those kind of um like those kind of marquee names to see if we get a yeah. meaningful guide lower. So um, well, listen, Liz, I appreciate you helping us navigate these volatile markets. And and I, I'll just say this, I mean, I'd love to get your last word on this. I mean, this is about as confusing period as I can remember. And I think for a point that you just made a minute ago is that, you know, you gotta pay attention to the macro and figuring out all, how all of that works together is not particularly easy, but you also have to be able to kind of change your mind on stuff because I'll tell you one thing on June 8th, when X- Exxon was making new all-time highs right above those 2014 highs. The last time crude oil was above $100. Like every energy analyst who's bullish on the space and every strategist who thinks structurally the energy is going to be higher, they're all like pounding the table on the energy complex at the all-time highs and look what happens. The rug gets pulled out and you see crude oil down 20%. You see the XLE down 30%. You see the OAH down 35%. That's not a way to invest in the market.
1: No. And you know what, I will admit, I mean, I've been in this business for 18 years now. This is, it's been less than that as a strategist, but this is one of the hardest years that it's been to be a strategist because there've been opinions so far on either end of the spectrum, and you can literally feel right on Tuesday and completely wrong on Wednesday. So what I've trained myself to do, I would encourage other people to do this, is to at least give it a week or two. If you make a decision, you have conviction in something, even if you feel wrong tomorrow, give it a week, see if you still feel wrong, and then reevaluate. Because this is an environment where impulse control is probably your most valuable trait, if you can practice that as an investor. Because if you just watch even yesterday what happened, right? if you would have made a decision about the market at 10 a.m., you would have been completely wrong by 3.45. So you have to be careful in this and you have to take the data as it comes but don't move around too much and on a daily basis because you're just chasing your own tail.
0: Yeah. And I would just add one quick point there as a, as somebody who's been a trader for 25 years, it also makes sense, you know, to kind of really kind of move stops around if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking to be opportunistic because the volatility is giving you those opportunities, right. To kind of buy things when you get a down market, that's down 2% and the stock is down 55%. If you buy a stock, I mean, I think that one thing makes sense. I don't, know oh, if it always makes so much sense to say just it's a time thing it's also a time and a price thing right so if you yeah. say my risk yeah. tolerance to the downside on something that i've identified as a trade not really a long-term investment let's say it's five percent then live by that sort of stop and if the stock rallies quickly you know 10 percent over a week or two maybe raise that stop and live by that too so i think it's really important liz's point is a great one is don't get yourself all turned around buying and selling back and forth but if you're basically a long um, you know, only trader. And a lot of people are, they don't kind of short stocks. Yeah. That's why I laid out that kind of XLP using puts, because there you're defining your risk. So to me, I think it makes sense. Use stops, move them up as the thing starts working in your uh, favor, but also live by those stops, because it's going to help you avoid some, uh, you know, trades turning into long-term investments, if you will. Does that make yeah. sense?
1: Yeah, it does. And I'll leave people with this last thought. I think I said this on CNBC last week, I'll probably say it again today on CNBC, <laughs> that We got trained in that 2020 pullback, That looking back on it, let's say six months later, people were saying, oh man, I wish I would have bought on March 23rd, or I wish I would have bought on March 16th, right? And you missed that one opportunity, that felt like one opportunity. I think this period, in six months from now, a year from now, we'll look back on it and say, oh man, I wish I would have bought at some point in the summer of 2022. So it's not just one day, it's not just one week. But start thinking about it. And, and you could even harvest some losses right now and then redeploy that. But start thinking about it in the next 45 to 60 days.
0: Yeah. And that makes like, you know, make a list of stocks that you want to buy or sectors that you want to buy through ETFs. And, you know, listen, over the last month, I bought about five different stocks that are on average down 60% or so. Yeah. I mean, like like that's astounding. And that's just from the recent highs. And I'm not buying full positions. I'm basically right. kind of right. legging into them. And yeah. I actually want to buy on down days. I haven't one of them on an update if that makes any sense too yep. so well, we'll continue to kind of give our two cents of our experience in the markets, you as a strategist, me as a trader, and Guy as just Nostradamus. So when we get him back um, <laughs> next week, we'll have some fun with that. We're also going to have John Butters join us for an earnings preview. I think that's on July 14th, which is Bastille Day. And that'll be a special ah. day for all our, our viewers in France. Um, all right. That's going to do it today. For, <laughs> Are there a
1: lot for, of us? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I mean, we'll have to ask Amanda if we have... Um, <laughs> Sure. We'll, but But maybe we'll just, <laughs> we'll all crack open a Cronenberg or something like that on, on uh, July 14th. Um, but that's it. We're done. We went over time. I really appreciate you being here with us, Liz. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet, of course, SoFi, your employer, and of course, Open Exchange that powers market call. For more great content from Liz Young, you can follow her on Twitter, at LizYoungStrat, and sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com slash daily. Just a reminder, we are dark for the next two days. This is a holiday shortened week. That's why Liz is on with us on Wednesday. We're going to take a little time here, recharge a little bit, people. So we'll see you back here on Monday. Carter will be with us at 1 p.m. Liz will be back with us next Thursday. Liz, thank you so much for all your insights. We really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. See you next week.
0: All right. See you later.